Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSight News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. How are you doing? I'm, pl- I'm, I'm fine, and I pray that you're well. It's good to be with you, and we are live, um, and we're coming to you again from Monica's house, my beautiful Catholic friend right across the street from St. Joseph the Worker in Tyler, Texas. Um, and it's uh, a, a great honor to be with you. And while we have time, you know that all that's going on in the world, and we spoke about the Holy Father's um, efforts to uh, abolish the Latin Mass, the traditional Latin Mass, um, uh, yesterday during the call-in. So I don't want to spend too much time on that because um, you can certainly follow the news as I can. And I always recommend the news from the Station of the Cross and LifeSite News. You'll get everything you need to know. I'd love to continue with the Catechism Explained, um, and uh, because we need to know our faith, dear ones, and I would wish to urge you all to get a copy of that book um, that we can learn our faith and know our faith and teach it to the children. Yesterday we began, <clears throat> without the video, by phone only, yesterday we began um, on the loss of faith uh, from chapter 7 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church explained. It's the Council of Trent explained by Reverend Sparago. And um, on the loss of faith, we begin on point two today. Faith is, that's where we left off yesterday, faith is for the most part lost either, one, by indifference to the doctrines of faith, two, by willful doubt respecting the truths of faith, Three, by reading books or other literature that is hostile to the faith. Four, by frequenting the assemblies of those who are hostile to the faith. And five, by neglecting the practice of one's religion. He who, through culpable indifference, does not culpable, meaning it's his own fault, through culpable indifference, does not trouble himself about the doctrines of faith, gradually loses the gift of faith. Years ago, I met a Catholic. I think he still went to church on Sundays, but he really was Catholic in name only. And I said, do you know your faith? You studied? Oh, no, I had all that in CCD as a child. I don't need it anymore. It, It broke my heart because he doesn't love the church. He doesn't love God. He doesn't love the faith. He doesn't know it. How can you stay away from someone and something you love? And when you meet a man and you marry him, or you meet a woman and you marry her, do you figure, I know all about her, there is to know? That's why I married her? No. You're just learning when you get married. You just begin to know each other. He who through culpable indifference does not trouble himself about the doctrines of faith gradually loses the gift of faith. He is like the plant that is not watered or the lamp that is not filled with oil. Such men know that they are very ignorant of their religion, and yet they take no pains to get instructed. They are engrossed with this world, 
they never pray or hear a sermon. And if they are parents, they take no pains to get their children properly instructed. Perhaps they fancy themselves men of enlightenment and look with pity and contempt on those who are conscientious and earnest in the practice of their religion. The body must be nourished, else it will perish from hunger. The soul must be nourished, else too will perish. Its nourishment is the teaching of Christ. He himself says in his conversation with the woman of Samaria that the water that he would give her, that is, his divine doctrine, should be to her a well of water springing up unto life everlasting. John chapter 4. And in the synagogue of Capernaum, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall not hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst This is why the careful instruction of children and of converts is so all-important. When converts fall away, the cause very often is that they have not been well instructed before their reception into the church. The Catholic must not suppose that he is freed from the study of the doctrines of faith because he has been duly instructed in his youth. The plant must be watered even when it is grown up. The soul of the adult needs to renew its acquaintance with the truths of faith by hearing sermons, reading pious books, etc. Else it will soon lose the vigor of its faith. He who allows himself willfully to doubt of any of the doctrines of the church commits a serious sin against faith and is sure, little by little, to lose his faith altogether. And I can hear, dear ones, people saying, why, I have a brain, I can think. Why shouldn't I doubt any of the doctrines of the church? Why shouldn't I reason them out? I need to understand them or approve them. Oh, no, you don't. You don't need to understand them or approve them. Your faith is in the fact, not in the doctrines, but in the church that Christ established. And if he established his church against which the gates of hell will not prevail and which he will lead into all truth, his promise, till the end of time, then it's the church of Christ that you put your trust in and everything that church teaches. If you don't understand it, then you just need to come to study and understand it. That's fine. That's no crime. But if you begin to doubt it and you question it, then you doubt and question the church. And that is serious. That's a serious sin. That house is sure to fall of which the foundations are loosened. He who doubts any revealed truth seriously offends God. Why? Why? If it doesn't make sense to me, why? Because it's revealed by God. And we are not above God. We're not smarter than him. We are not all-knowing. We're not everywhere present. We're not all-powerful. Who are we, little ants, created by the Creator, to doubt what God has taught? We can say, Father, I don't understand it. But to say, I'm not sure if it's true, means you're not a Catholic. means you do not believe the Church Christ established. He who doubts any revealed truth seriously offends God. Not he who doubts whatever is anyone's opinion or taught today, no matter who teaches it, but revealed by God. 
Sarah doubted God's promise that she should bear a son in her old age and was reproved by God for her incredulity. Genesis 18. Zacharias doubted the announcement of the angel that John Baptist should be born to him, and as a punishment, lost for a time the power of speech, Luke chapter 1. Yet doubts that come into our mind involve doubts that come into our mind involve no sin if we do not willfully consent to them. See, beloved, their temptations. We must not consent to them. If doubts come into our mind, we should not argue with them, but should make an act of faith and pray for more faith. Those, however, who are outside the church and have not the faith are bound, if they doubt, to search and inquire until they have found the truth. With them, doubt is no sin, so long as their search after truth is made in a spirit of humility and with a sincere desire to arrive at truth. Faith is also destroyed by the reading of books hostile to the faith. In this way, John Huss, we said this yesterday, in this way, John Huss, who disseminated false doctrine over Bohemia, is said to have been corrupted by the works of the English heretic Wycliffe. He was, it was the writings of Luther that chiefly contributed to the apostasy of Calvin and Zwingli. Julian, the apostate, the apostate in A.D. 363, is said to have lost his faith by reading the writings of the heretic Libanius during his expedition to Nicomedia. In the present day, the books against the faith are countless. Among the most mischievous are the works of Rousseau, Voltaire, Zola, Renan, Gibbon, Ingersoll, Huxley, etc. Now again, this is written following the Council of Trent in the 16th century. And so uh, it's not up to date with um, the heretics of our day. The church, like a good mother, seeing how books dangerous to faith were on the increase, established in 1571 the Congregation of the Index, through which the Apostolic See forbids to Catholics a number of books which are judged to be a source of danger to faith or morals. Anyone who reads such books, prints them, or even has them in his possession without permission from his ecclesiastical superiors, incurs the penalty of excommunication reserved for the Pope. You say, my goodness, Catholic Church, it's really a cult. It's really, you know, it's people can't think. No, when you raise children, beloved, if you have a son that has filled his bedroom with demonic stuff and books on the occult and all those things, you are no parent worthy of your vocation if you allow him to read those things, if you allow them in your house. The church is our mother and must direct us to heaven and eliminate what is dangerous for our souls. Does she have that right? You bet. She has that right. She is our spiritual mother, and her task is to lead us to heaven. There's the music for our first break, dear ones. We'll be back 
to continue with the Catechism Explained after the break. And with the second break, we'll take your calls and your emails toll-free, 1-877-511-5483. Obedience is the second temptation of the devil for Jesus in the wilderness. The evil one showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a single instant. Then he said to Jesus, I shall give to you all this power and their glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I may give it to whomever I wish. All this will be yours if you worship me. But Jesus again quotes from Deuteronomy and says, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him alone shall you serve. Unlike the Israelites who gave in to the false worship of the golden calf when they grew impatient of Moses up on Mount Sinai, Jesus stays firm and loyal to the first commandment of the law, to not worship false gods or idols, and to remain obedient to God his Father alone. Let us reflect on any false gods, idols, or priorities in our lives during this holy season of Lent. This is Matt Maloney from KnowTheFaith.net. This is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. In your view, was the Virgin Mary simply an obedient woman who willingly gave biological and maternal matter to Jesus and therefore has been given undue adoration? So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, the Bible. The Virgin Mary is in the first book of the Bible, the last book of the Bible, all through the Gospels and close to 15 other typologies throughout Scripture. Secondly, the Ark of the Covenant. It was the most revered object in the history of the children of Israel. That ark carried the presence of God. Well, goodness, the Virgin Mary did not just carry the presence of God. She carried God himself. Thirdly, something to think on. If God is a father, he is, and we are known as his children, we are, and the body of Christ are called brothers and sisters, they are. Wouldn't God provide a mother for his church? He did. So here's an idea. Ask a wartime veteran whose soldiers cry out for in a moment of fear. That's right, their mother. Mother Mary, pray for us. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I'm thrilled to be with you. And we are in Chapter 7 of the Catechism Explained, which is the Council of Trent Explained in full. It's a beautiful book, and I urge everyone to get that. It's published by Mediatrix Press, and you can get it in many bookstores directly online from Mediatrix Press. It's on Amazon and other websites as well. <clears throat> and we're speaking about how people lose the faith, and one way is by reading false books, um, books that come against the faith, um, and the, the fact that the church published an index of these false books for which there was a penalty if Catholics read them. Uh, the penalty, however, is not incurred by anyone who reads such a book without knowing that it was forbidden. <clears throat> At one time, all books had to be sanctioned by the bishop of the diocese, but this was afterwards limited to books touching on religion. By these means, the church sought to preserve the purity of Christian doctrine. Boy, I I wish that were the case today. I wish every bishop were faithful. I wish every bishop taught the faith. I wish every bishop would guard 
the life of his sheep. Uh, it's no longer the case. I, I certainly wish it were. Today, uh, bishops who give an imprimatur, which is to say that everything within the book is, um, nothing is contrary to the faith, they assign that to others and they don't even approve things that are right. Um, and um, and in many cases, it's our shepherds that are misleading the sheep today. So we're in a very different world, beloved, and we need to be discerning. <clears throat> many have lost their faith by habitually reading newspapers hostile to the faith. As the body cannot maintain in health if it is fed with unwholesome food, so the mind becomes distressed and corrupt if a man feeds it with unwholesome and pernicious literature. The process may be a slow one, but it is like a solid rock which wears away little by little as the drops of water fall upon it. Bad reading is like unwholesome food, which ere long introduces sickness and even death. <clears throat> Excuse me. Among the enemies of faith are the Freemasons. In Protestant countries, they seem harmless enough, and many converts who have belonged to the Masonic order have borne witness that they have never encountered anything in it which was opposed either to throne or altar. But the real object aimed at by the leaders of Freemasonry is to destroy all authority that comes from God and all revealed religion. Their secret oath of obedience, taken as it is without any reserve, is absolutely unlawful, and the symbolism of many of its lodges is grossly blasphemous and insulting to Christianity. The idea of Freemasonry is taken from the Masonic guilds of the Middle Ages, the members of which employed themselves in the construction of cathedrals and churches. It professes to have for its object the construction of a spiritual temple to humanity and enlightenment. But Freemasons are invariably the bitter foes of Christianity and of the Catholic Church. Listen to this next statement, beloved. Everyone joining them is ipso facto excommunicate. They are excommunicated. And the Pope alone, the Pope alone can restore him, that one, to the membership of the church, except at the hour of death when any priest has the power to do so. I have met numerous men who consider themselves Catholic, even good Catholics, and they are Masons, and they belong to a Masonic lodge, and they have no clue that Freemasonry is run by the devil. It is the devil's uh, organization, 100%. And it was that if you were a Mason, you were automatically excommunicated. Now, today, there's so much ignorance, and the faith is hardly being taught anymore, and bishops themselves, in many cases, are Freemasons. Um, the Vatican is flooded with Freemasons. They're all over the place. And so... Uh, no one is protecting the sheep anymore, but you must know this. If you are a, consider yourself a Catholic and you are a Freemason, you need to leave them and you need to go to confession and you need to repent and follow the Catholic faith. <clears throat> 
point three here. All men who through their own fault die without Christian faith are, by the just judgment of God, sentenced to eternal perdition. Now, beloved, if you're a Mason, you may, be, you may have been uh, ignorant, you may not have understood that they are uh, demonic and run by the, de- the devil himself, uh, but you know it now. You don't, may not believe me, but now you've heard it, and you have accountability before God to look into it very seriously. Because if you die being a Mason, and you now you've been warned, and you don't leave them, you cannot straddle heaven and hell. You will be in hell. It's very, very serious. You cannot love God and Satan, the two worlds, at the same time. All men who through their own fault die without Christian faith are, by the just judgment of God, sentenced to eternal perdition. Unhappy indeed are those who have not faith. Luke says they sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. That's part of um, Zechariah's revelation, the canticle of Zechariah. Our Lord says, he who believeth not shall be condemned. You say, well, I believe. I believe in the Catholic faith. I've been a Mason all my life. Well, you don't know the full Catholic faith, and you don't know that you're in opposition to God and that you're under Satan's power as a Mason. You must leave it. And if you don't, then you can no longer call yourself a Catholic. You cannot be both. He who believeth not is condemned already. John chapter 3. Of heretics, St. Paul says that they are condemned by their own judgment, Titus 3. Masons are heretics. We ought to pray often for heretics and unbelievers that God may in his mercy bring them to the true faith. And if you're a Mason, you may say, you know, who's this woman telling me what to believe and what not? I don't know what she's reading, but I'm a Catholic and no one's going to tell me I'm not. Well, Nobody may tell you you're not. I'm telling you now that you may think you're a Catholic and you may be innocent about that, but you're no longer innocent because I'm letting you know. And the Catholic faith lets you know that you may not be a Mason because it is the organization of the devil who has infiltrated the church with all sorts of lies. To Their number one goal is to destroy the family and bring down Christianity. They live for that. And how do you destroy a faith? You creep into it. You infiltrate it. That's what's happened in the church for a thousand years. Masons, communists, have infiltrated. They couldn't destroy it from without. And so the only way they had any chance of destroying it is from within. And they're doing their best. They will not destroy it because it is not the church to destroy It is the Church of Christ. He is the only one who can destroy it, and he will not. He has promised to build it and to bring it into all truth till the end of time. But he's letting the enemy have his day. And we see the fruit of unbelief. We see the fruit, not just of unbelief, beloved, but I think largely of Catholics who simply don't live their faith. I know I've said this numerous times recently, but you cannot, you can hardly tell a Catholic from a non-Catholic. Go through society 
and ask Catholics to stand on one side and the rest of society on the other, you'll be shocked to see how many Catholics stand on one side because you couldn't have picked them out because they dress like the world in leotards and short skirts and low tops, sleeveless, uh, tight clothes, immodest, shopping in malls on Sundays, going to restaurants and having people serve them on a day of rest when nobody is to work, having as much uh, abortions being as high as the world, divorces being as high as the world, voting for... uh, the, pres- the last couple of presidents we've gotten as Catholics. Well, don't just blame us, Mother. Yes, I just blame us because we have the grace that no one else has. Just as the Jews in the Old Covenant, they had the oracles of God. That's what Paul writes in Romans 3. You have, they say, what about us? What about the Jews? How could Gentiles get into heaven before us? And, and God said to them, Because even though you have the law, the Gentiles do the works of their law written on their heart more than you who have the works of the law in your heart and the oracles on stone live it. And that's Catholics today. We live like the world. We're in the world and of it rather than being in the world and not of it. No, Mother, come on. We're real Catholics, are you? What do you do on Sundays? Do you go out to a restaurant after Mass? and have people serve you? Well, they should be home if they're Catholics. No, they should be home because they're created by God to be witnessed to by us, to come into the church and be saved. And there should be empty restaurants on, ca- on Sunday. No Christian should be in a restaurant on Sunday. And they won't make money, and they'll close like they used to. And we can help people be home with their families again. There's so many ways, dear ones. There's so many ways. Are you still giving to your diocese who gives to Christian uh, relief services, who give millions of dollars for condoms and, and abortifacients to poor countries? We have to be alert. We have to live our faith. We have to depart from evil. We have to make no compromise. Our Lord did not. Our Lord did not. If we don't live the faith now, beloved, we are doomed. We are responsible for the world being what it is. We're not responsible for Satan doing his work, but we are responsible for not being God's witnesses in the midst of this evil day, and we are not. So I beg you with me, I beg us all to live the faith, beloved, Husbands, lay down your lives for your wife. Women, allow your husbands to live their vocation as the head of the home and submit to them as to Christ. Children, obey your parents and respect them. Mom and pop, don't you let a disrespectful word come out of any child's mouth without consequence. Don't you let them disobey you. Don't you let them dress like their friends in the world half naked. Don't worry about being popular. Worry about not getting to heaven because you have abandoned your vocation and let the schools and the world raise your children. Worry about that. Worry about sending your children to hell 
because you will not raise them in the faith. We'll be right back, beloved, to take your calls and your emails. Toll free 1-877-511-5483. I worked in pro baseball for a long time, and we play on Sundays. And it was an easy excuse. Uh, I took the easy out and just didn't go to Mass. Got caught up in that whole selfishness, that whole, you know, um, I can do it all. The times when I was struggling were the times I needed God the most. And now that uh, I've come back and accepted God, my world has completely changed. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for any reason, visit catholicscomehome.org today. This is Franciscan Media's Saint of the Day for February 28th. Today we celebrate Blessed Daniel Brotier. Daniel spent most of his life in the trenches, one way or another. Born in France in 1876, he was ordained in 1899 and began a teaching career that didn't satisfy him for long. Wanting to use his zeal for the gospel far beyond the classroom, Daniel joined the Missionary Congregation of the Holy Spirit, which sent him to Senegal, West Africa. After eight years there, his health was suffering. He was forced to return to France, where he helped raise funds for the construction of a new cathedral in Senegal. At the outbreak of World War I, Daniel became a volunteer chaplain, spending four years at the front. He risked his life time and again in ministering to the suffering and dying. Miraculously, he didn't suffer a single wound during his time at the front. After the war, he was invited to help establish a project for orphaned and abandoned children in a Paris suburb. He spent the final 13 years of his life there. Daniel died in 1936 and was beatified in Paris by Pope John Paul II only 48 years later. There's more about the saints along with inspiration and Catholic resources at our website, saintoftheday.org. From Franciscan Media, this has been Saint of the Day. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved family, to Mother Miriam Live. Uh, we lost the video for a little bit, and we're, we'll get it back fairly soon. Um, you're welcome to call in. This is our whole half hour. And um, with anything on your heart, the toll-free number is one 511 5483 or email at mother at James, um, until we... Oh, you know what? I think I'm back. Hold on a moment. Hold on one moment. I think I'll be able to take to take your calls and your emails. I'm sorry. Hold on a moment. James, would you read the first email until we get back online absolutely uh, mother i'd be happy oh, no, to we're back now aren't we okay we are back okay i got it thank you so much sure. all of you god bless you james um this is a message from facebook from courtney and she says mother miriam i'm ho- i'm a homeschooling mother of seven children my husband works long days at an office job as the sole provided for our family But we live very frugally financially because money is always tight. 
we are always open to the idea of welcoming more children into our family, if God wills. But sometimes it feels like we're already maxed out. Aside from the financial aspect, it can just be extremely difficult keeping up with all of the kids and staying on top of their schooling, etc. So my question is, is it better to continue trying to add to our family because we want to remain open to whatever God wants? Or should we live celibately and focus our lives on providing for the children we already have? Thank you, Courtney. Courtney, God has never designed marriage for husband and wife to live celibately and deal with the children they already have, no matter what the financial situation is. In extreme hardship, um, it's possible for you to refrain from marital relations at certain times um, or, or extreme measures of um, physical or psychological or um, um, uh, problems. But in your case, I would say no. Uh, I don't know if you ever saw the program where Bishop Athanasius Snyder was on with me, and we talked about such a thing. Um, and he shocked me with his answer, and he looked into all of you in the camera, and he said, God will hold you accountable for every child you have not had. I couldn't hardly believe his statement. No, Courtney. Go ahead and be open to life. Just Again, you don't have to try to have children, but don't be celibate. Be, come together in marriage, be open to life, and let God do what he wills. He knows, and he will never allow you to have a child that he will not provide for. And as your children get older, I, I see big families at our church, 10, 11 children, and it's a beautiful thing. I see seven-year-olds carrying the newborn baby down the aisle. Um, the children learn how to bathe each other, how to teach each other. Um, I know one 12-year-old who homeschooled the rest of the children because her mother was not able to. So, no, no, no. If you have seven children, um, one of them is at least seven years old and so uh, can begin Every one of them. In my family, we didn't have a big family. We were only three. But we were dusting and ironing and cleaning and cooking at five years old. So train your children and and help them. We have an email from someone uh, who writes it anonymously and says, Can you please explain the difference between a monastery and a convent? Um, I once looked up the origin of convent, meaning to convene, convent, and monastery, meaning a mono, alone, to be alone. Um, generally, not always, a monastery refers to a cloistered order and a convent more to an active order. Um, that is general. It, it, um, it, it could be that an active order has a large monastery and so forth, but normally a monastery is for cloistered orders that stay apart from the world and a convent be for more active orders or contemplative active. We're Benedictine and the word uh, for us is a priory. It's just an older word. Instead of my being superior, I'm the prioress. Just different terms, but they're the same thing. <clears throat> we have an email from Joe who says, do we know if anyone else ever wrote about Jesus' life other than Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? And if so, why were these only, why were these the only four who were, the, who were accepted? 
This is even more confusing to me due to the fact that Mark and Luke weren't even apostles. Thank you, Mother. Joe, yes, Joe, many other, many, many, many writings about Jesus were circulating without question, including many more Gospels, Gospel of Thomas and others. But there were certain uh, rules uh, at the councils of Carthage and Hippo where the canon of scripture came together in the 4th and 5th centuries. And they were by bishops and popes of the church. And they, the, the uh, scriptures, the writings had to meet certain absolute standards. And these gospels, these four did. Luke and John, rather Luke and Mark, were not apostles, but Mark was Peter's secretary, so to speak. He was Peter's uh, hand in writing, and Luke was the apostle Paul, who was an apostle as of late. So Luke was Paul's companion, and Mark was Peter's companion. And so they wrote um, on the authority of both those men. But to, to write... They had to have seen the Lord Jesus um, and um, been alive in his time, which they were. So um, that's, that's the only answer I can give you. It's a brief one, but you can also go to catholic.com and get a lot more detail. We have an email uh, from Pamela who says, Hello, Mother. I just came home from church <clears throat> and wanted to ask a question about someone other than a priest distributing ashes on Ash Wednesday. There were several people scattered around the church giving out ashes. I waited in the line where the priest was. A man from the Knights of Columbus was trying to get me and other people in my line to go with the other people who were distributing ashes. When I refused, and said I was waiting for the priest, he was a little flustered with me and said it was all the same. I commented back, it is, it is not, no. I do not feel it's all the same, and am I wrong? Thank you, Mother. Well, we'll never feel it's the same, getting anything from a layperson as from a priest, but it seems um, that the uh, law of the church says that only a priest at, or a deacon can bless the ashes. But not lay people. Only a priest or deacon can bless the ashes, but um, and with holy water and such. But yes, lay people can distribute them. The church does allow that, so uh, it's all right. And you're you're receiving blessed ashes, much different than the distribution of the Eucharist by lay people, which is a desecration, because no one but the sacred hands of a priest, not even a deacon, should touch the holy Eucharist. <clears throat> We have an email from Andrew. Um, who says, Hello, Mother. I have been watching your show for a while, and I want to start off by saying what a gift you are to the world that is in need of God's truth. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you so much. Um, we need to stick together with the truth, for sure. Um, I have a couple of questions regarding discernment. And I would truly appreciate your guidance. There is this family that has a giant network of cousins who live locally that I know mutually through one of their other cousins that I've been close friends with since childhood. 
<clears throat> I have this desire to become, close, to become close to all of them, and I also have another strong desire to bring them to the one holy apostolic faith at the same time as they are all currently evangelical non-denominational Protestants. Good for you. Just about all of them do not know the Catholic faith, nor do they know that their church was founded by Chuck Smith, that's the vineyard, in 1965 that stemmed from the Pentecostal Four Square Church, I know. Nor do they understand that sola scriptura is a man-made doctrine and not the actual teaching of God. My intention is not only focused on evangelizing, but to also be friends with them as Christ was friends with sinners and converted souls through his gentle love and mercy. Good. Just recently, I was invited to attend one of their Bible studies that are always held at one of their houses, and in return, I extended an invite to them to attend Mass at my extremely reverend parish, and hopefully they will see that the Catholic Church is the only church established by God himself that remained orthodox and full in truth since Pentecost. I'm having difficulty in determining whether I should attend their Bible study and be a true witness and example, or instead go along with what my traditional Catholic friends said about this situation. These Catholic friends told me that these people are not true friends and that they only invited me because they were being, quote, unquote, nice, or that they want me to attend so they can show me their heretical interpretation of Scripture in an attempt to get me to leave the church. Yet I know for a fact that they know nothing of the Catholic faith and that the Bible is a Catholic book, no matter how much they try to prove otherwise. Well, they're inviting you because they want you to enter into a true relationship with Jesus Christ. They want you to be a Christian. They don't understand that you are a Christian. As a Catholic, their motives are very good. He continues, these friends also said that another reason why they are not true friends is that they never talk to me on the phone by text or call. So then my initial response to my friend's claims was that these acquaintances actually enjoy having me around when we are in person, which is absolutely true, and that it appears that they do not use their phones for most communication, and also that good friendships are not made overnight, so of course they would not reach out as we are not close yet. Dear one, I don't know who your who your Catholic friends are, but I, I would I would just distance myself from their advice. Um, he writes, these Catholic friends also stated that these acquaintances are not open to the Holy Church, which is true to an extent, as they simply do not know the Church, and also said that I would be heavily outnumbered if I attended their Bible study, which is obviously true, as the scene could be described as, a t as ten cousins and a pastor against one well-formed Catholic who knows his faith and a lot about the history of Christianity. I tell you what, for me, this is a fabulous situation to be invited to. A pastor and 10 evangelical Protestant Christians who don't know the Catholic faith, and they would invite a Catholic. They'd only be inviting a Catholic to, to help the Catholic be converted to what they think is true Christianity, which is evangelicalism. But that's okay. It's a Bible study. And I would uh, treasure the opportunity to help them to understand in whatever they countered, or whatever they taught, what the Catholic view is and why. 
He says, I also explained to these Catholic friends that getting together with these acquaintances outside of their Bible study can be very complicated because of the lack of phone communication from their end, as mentioned before. I'm stuck between following this passion and being exclusive enough to where I spend my life with Catholic people only and have nothing to do with anyone outside the faith. Well, follow your passion, my dear one. Trust the Holy Spirit in you. And if you spend your life with Catholic people only, you're in sin. Our vocation, our commission, is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He says, I want to make sure that my passions to evangelize and become close friends do not lead me astray. Fine. Just stay with what the Catholic Church teaches. And now he says, my question are, questions are, is it God's will? Do I have his and the church's approval that you, I evangelize this way or evangelize at all? A thousand yeses. Yes, 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 and become close friends with these people within time. A hundred percent yes. And how can I discern God's will for this situation? How will I know if I get a crystal clear answer? I'm giving it to you. You've already had it in Scripture. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Teach the truth in love. Andrew, he says, thank you for your guidance for teaching the true faith. May God bless you always in Christ. Andrew, Go to that Bible study, get Catholicism and fundamentalism. Hello, beloved. This is Mother Miriam, host of Mother Miriam Live. Like the Catholic Current and the many other programs that originate from the Station of the Cross, Divine Mercy in My Soul is all about the messages that Jesus revealed to St. Faustina. It is aired every Sunday morning at 11 Eastern and Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Or you can listen anytime to Divine Mercy in My Soul on the iCatholic Radio mobile app. I'm Jim Havens, host of The Simple Truth, heard weekdays at 4 p.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross Catholic Media Network. And by far the most transforming aspect of this experience was simply coming into the direct knowledge that God himself not only knew me by name, but had been paying attention to me as though I were the only creature he had ever created. That's The Simple Truth, weekdays at 4 p.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross. Here at the Station of the Cross, we proudly bring the truths of the Catholic faith to countless listeners through radio and mobile devices, and we're grateful for the feedback we've received. I discovered the Station of the Cross rather providentially a year ago. I've been a loyal listener ever since. I can't overestimate the value of the station, but it's made a difference in my life in terms of making me better informed Catholic. It has enriched my faith and sold me during tough times. It made me laugh on several occasions. I commend the important work of this great apostolate. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I listen to the radio. And if I can listen to something that brings me closer to God, closer to Jesus Christ, then it's the most beautiful thing. If you've been blessed by listening to the Station of the Cross, let us know. Call 1-877-888-6279, extension 112. Then share your testimonial with us.
Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved. This is our last segment. And we have 10 minutes. You're welcome to call in still with any question on your heart. Toll free, 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at the station of the Um I hope, Andrew, you heard the uh, end of my um, our, our, our conversation, the end of your email. You must evangelize. You must not have Catholic friends only. You have been given an enormous gift. That is the truth of the Catholic faith. You've also been given a desire, a passion in your word to evangelize. If you hold back, you will be in sin. You must spread the gospel. And one thing I said right uh, just before the break is that a very good book, probably the best book for you to get in that circumstance is Catholicism and Fundamentalism by Carl Keating, published by Ignatius Press. Catholicism and Fundamentalism. I know Chuck Smith and those good people, and where they're coming from is, and, and totally scripturally, is what uh, that book will respond to. So you need to read it so you can help them with answers. <clears throat> we have an email from Morgan who says, Dear Mother Miriam, I was listening to your comments on the husband being the head and wife. Uh, sorry, the husband being the head and the wife being the heart of the family. And it suddenly struck me why I'm so tired all the time. I long to be the heart of the family, but I simply don't have the luxury. My husband is a Marine and he is frequently gone. We have three children, uh, five, three, and one years old. <laughs> I have a handful. I love our children dearly, but all of my husband's comings and goings are taking their toll on them and they are acting out. Their behavior is expected for their ages and the circumstance. But I am left completely drained by correcting them all day long. I long to just love and snuggle them, but they are constantly fighting for my attention and then destroying the house. I sometimes lose my temper and yell because I feel so helpless. The only thing that gets me through the day is that God made them so adorable and generally very sweet when they aren't torturing each other. Do you have any advice for a mom who has to be both mother and father so frequently? Thanks in advance for your advice, Morgan. Morgan, I think the thing you need most is to ask Our Lady to bring you a very good, mature mother who has raised several children who can truly help you to be the mother to those children in your circumstance. You do not have to be mother and father. You need to be who God has made you, which is mother. Yes, you are the heart of the home, and often the heart has to lead. No question about it. If you yell at them, they will act out even when you're not yelling, because you're bringing negativity. Um, you need to be formed as a mom, and you need to learn how to correct your children without yelling, and you need to learn how to steer them into good behavior rather than correcting wrong behavior at their young ages. So you're wearing yourself out, 
And I would say to try to ask Our Lady to bring you together with a very mature woman who can handle 10 children all by herself because she knows how to direct them and how to distract them in good ways, not correcting them, not being negative, and certainly not yelling at them. Um, even at the, if you'll scare the one-year-old and the three-year-old for sure. They won't be able to hear what you're saying because you're just yelling. And the five-year-old as well will take it as that she's a bad person and, and you're unhappy with her and she's, she's, it's not going to be a good situation. Um, use every misbehavior as an opportunity to teach calmly and lovingly no, sweetheart. Um, that's, let me not even say that's not the way we do it. Just say, let me show you a better way. Always try to be positive. Um, and yes, they're going to want your attention. A one, three, and five-year-old absolutely will want their attention. Find things. Get counsel on things. Games that are age-appropriate for the three- and five-year-old that they might be able to work on together without fighting, that will distract them. Not TV, not videos, no, but, but good games, learning tools uh, that they will, that will engage one another. Um, because you're going to be worn out, and it's going to be a very unhappy home situation. I don't know what your husband does as a Marine, but if it's possible for him to call in every night or a certain time of day so the children are not missing him, this is just normal. Hurry up, it's time for Papa's call. Let's go. If, if that's possible, if, he, if you can FaceTime or Zoom or just for them to hear his voice, that'll be the norm in the family. And it'll, it, it'll be wonderful. So I would just say be very, very creative. God has not given you a marine husband with three little tots for you to be worn out, for you to be frustrated, and for you to be father and mother and to yell at them. No. There's a way, beloved Morgan. Um, but you need to find that out. And then when you do, you'll be able to help other mothers. We have uh, Stephen, an email from Stephen who says, Mother Miriam, in these days of technological wonders, we have science that has come up with pretty good or at least acceptable substitutes for meat. I know some people would never even consider eating this type of substitute food product. However, <clears throat> to some people, the creation seems to mimic meat very well. Is it true that these meat imitations would be acceptable to be eaten on Ash Wednesday and Fridays of Lent? Thanks for your faithfulness to Christ and the church he founded, Steve. I tell you what, Steve, if there's no meat in them, possibly they would be able to be eaten, but I wouldn't. It's a heart of worship that we wish. It's entering into the sacrifice of Christ that we want to do. So if we have a meat substitute that tastes like meat, we're not sacrificing anything. We're going to the letter of the law. I wouldn't do it. I won't tell you you're in sin to do that, but I would tell you your sacrifice is greatly lacking. Um, stay away from meat and stay away from anything that resembles meat or is a substitute for meat. It could be protein. Uh, it could be fish. 
is allowed, um, but not. I would not go for something that tastes like meat or substitutes meat or mimics meat. I would not. Uh, abstinence uh, live in the spirit of that sacrifice, not in the technical um, um, formula of it. We have an email from somebody who writes in anonymously and says, if a married deacon gets divorced, would he face any sort of punishment for that? Would he still be able to carry on his duties as normal? Or would he face repercussions and even possibly lose his status as a deacon? And consequently, how does that affect his ability to remarry in the future? To begin with, we're almost at the end of our program. Um, it's, for, it's the way of any Catholic. If you are divorced, unless you have an annulment, you must be celibate, and you must not date, and you must not remarry. If you get divorced, you must get an annulment. And whether or not, uh, and, and if you are, if you remarry, you, if you're a deacon, you would not be allowed to remarry. You'd have to remain in the single state. Um, you'd have to get, again, an annulment and remain single. Um, and you'd have to speak to your bishop and a marriage tribunal about that. But again, you could not remarry and remain a deacon. As far as I know, deacons need to remain in the state in which they become a deacon. If you're already married, okay, and your wife agrees to that with you. And if you're not married, you remain single. I believe that was the teaching of the church, and I don't know that it is not still the teaching of the church. God bless all of you, and um, I love being with you, and we'll be with you, God willing, tomorrow.